I don't know if you noticed, but all of the songs that we sang this morning were about being in heaven and going to heaven, and the role is called up yonder and so forth. And I want to look at a verse here in Ephesians 1 with you. Uh, we looked at this uh, in our study on uh, Monday nights, and uh, it got me to thinking about taking the opportunity here and, and talking about uh, a subject that we haven't talked about here in a little over seven years. And uh, I, I, it's something that I think is needful. It's something that we should be reminded. So I want to take a few weeks here and just really remind us of some things and then add some more things on top of after the reminding, <laughs> if you will. Because when you think about going to heaven and, and, and what we call the rapture, actually Paul calls it our gathering together, and he calls it the day of redemption, so the day of Christ and things like that, when we think about that, we're all interested in it. We're all interested in how it works and the process. And if you're not interested in it, then we need to check your pulse <laughs> because that's our promotion to glory and that's things are there. Um, you're in Ephesians 1, right? Flip over to chapter 3, just real quick. And a verse here in chapter 3, verse number 18, but we need to start in 16. Paul, in one of his recorded prayers, as he begins to pray and as he begins to educate mature saints on how to pray, Ephesians 1 is one. We're going to go back there in just a minute. Here in Ephesians 3 is the second of these. There's five of them listed in Paul's epistles in Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians where he does this. He says in verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ. I'll stop there for just a minute. Notice verse 18 very carefully, that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height and to know the love of Christ. Never let anyone ever tell you that you can't know something from the Scriptures. Okay? You can know it. Why? That verse just told me I could know it. Now, we have to approach the Scriptures the way God has us to approach it, which is by rightly dividing the word of truth. Not just cherry-picking, not just picking the good stuff and leaving out the bad stuff, but taking what God's Word says the way he intended it to be studied and looked at and understood. Okay? You can go into the bookstore. You can go over to the self-help section. By the way, that's what they call Christianity today, usually. And you can find a ton of books written by well-meaning people who are after your dollar. Okay? That's what they're after. Trying to help you understand how to study the Bible when all you got to do is simply open the Bible, read 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're going to study. How does God tell us to study? Rightly dividing the word of truth. I know preachers that go to seminary school. They spend a ton of money, and they come out, and they ignore that verse because I ask them about the verse. They ignore it. They don't like it because it takes, the, it takes away their advantage of being in charge and it puts it to the people, okay? That's what it does. That's, what, that's why religion doesn't like the issue of dispensational Bible study. Let's just call it the way it is. Chapter 3 of Ephesians says, I can comprehend something. I can understand the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and I can know the love of Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about, the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, the bigness of it, the vastness of it, the, the breadth of it, the, 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 the width, you know, this started, he did this back in eternity past, before the foundation of the world. We're going to see that in just a minute. He, the lowest part of it, the, the depth of it, he went and got you out of the gutter of sin, the slave market of sin, he went and saved you. But God commended his love towards you and that while you were yet sinners, ungodly, worthless, over in Mark, he says, where the worm dieth not. 
I mean, that's the ultimate place of where you're going to go as a sinner. To the lake, to that fire which is never quenched, where the worm, the maggot. Ooh, it's creepy. But you know what? God died for you. But God commended his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. That's how deep this is. That's the depths of it. He reached down to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. The chief of sinners, the leader of the rebellion against his people, saved him. The breadth of it, the length of it. How far does this thing go? All the way out through eternity. Now come back to Ephesians 1. I want to start here with you, and we're going to look at some things over the coming weeks. And, and again, I realize that folks are leave and have things to do and stuff comes up, and that's okay. You know, we got YouTube, we got all the podcast stuff out there and everything. But I think it's important that we just understand some of the basic information here. Ephesians 1, here is the first of Paul's recorded prayers. By the way, I got this overhead. Hopefully it'll work. I don't know. Technical difficulties, but we'll do the best we can. Notice here in verse 16, verse 15, sorry. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Okay, so what's he praying for? That... God would do this for you. Does he say that? No. That God would grant you something. That God would bless you with something. Well, he's already blessed you, by the way, if you look back at verse 3, just to make sure you understand that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? All of them. That means you have them all. You're not lacking anything. You're not, in, you're not deficient in any way. That means you have them all. By the way, where do you have them all? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places. That's where we're going. But it's in who? In Christ. Well, see, well, folks, when you pass from death to life, when you looked at Calvary's tree and said, there's my Redeemer, there's my Savior, I trust Him and Him alone, He enters into your life and you become bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh. He, you literally become joint heir with Him. He becomes you and you become Him. Your identity is so connected that it can't be ripped apart as much as we try. He says, you're mine. Those verses that you read about where God knoweth his own. He know, why? Because they're den, ge, genetically connected, if you will, with you. And he says here in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may, what's that word? Know, comprehend, understand, come to grasp some things. And I want to pick up on that phrase, the Father of glory. The one who gives life, the Father, to a plan that he called glory. Now we're not talking about the Shekinah glory. But we're talking about glory, and, and this glory plan belongs and involves the whole of the Godhead. It involves everything that the Father has planned to do. Now, if you come back to, chap to verse 9 and 10, chapter 1 of Ephesians 1, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Isn't that interesting? Having made known unto us you think God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost want you to know some things? <laughs> your, your Christian life, by the way, if you're saved, your, life, your Christian life is 24-7, not just Sunday morning, not just Wednesday night, not Monday night. Just, it's all the time. We were talking just a minute ago about the hockey game last night. Boy, what a, you know, just wanted to reach out and touch. But guess what? That's, your Christ, that's part of your life. 
Your life, your Christian life, cannot, will not operate on the basis of ignorance. You are to know some things. You are to comprehend some things. And here in verse 9, having, known, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Now watch, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. So if he's made known the mystery of his will, is his will then still a mystery? The answer is no. He made it known. He revealed some things. He came along and he took that mystery truth and he made it known. What was secret, he says, here it is. Now watch verse 10, because here it is, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Isn't that fantastic? He's got a plan. It's called glory. And the glory plan, the father of glory, this plan that he has, it involves his son being the head over all things. And the all things, we're going to look at it, we'll study it out. It's talking about government, government rule and reign. It's, called, it's about administrative duties. Come back with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. I know it's Old Testament, but it's Sunday morning, you're okay. You'll be fine. Second Chronicles 29. I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29. Okay? 1 Chronicles 29. Look at the board. Don't listen to me. <laughs> I was reading an article about in the big churches, the mega churches and everything, how that they put the verses on the overhead so you don't even have to bring a Bible anymore to church. And the problem is, is that they're finding out that their folks are Bible dumbbells. They can't find stuff in their book when they don't have an overhead. I would rather you find it, okay? I know you guys got the phones and you got the apps and you're there before me. It was a wonderful thing at the Bible conference to listen for and to the turning of the Bible pages in the room instead of the click, 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 and over you go. It's a wonderful thing. Okay, you found First Chronicles 29? Notice David here. He's got a, the father has a plan called glory, and it involves his son being over the things of the earth and the things of the heaven. David here has been, he, he asked the Lord, he, he told the Lord, I'm going to build you a house, and the Lord said, no, you're not. Your son Solomon is. But what I'm going to do for you, David, is what you're going to do is, here's the blueprints, you go get all the stuff, all the building material." Together, so Solomon can then build the, te- the, the, the house, the temple. That's where we're at. David has pulled it all together. And he's come here now to where he's going to step aside. And Solomon is going to begin to reign. And actually in the end of the chapter 29... Uh, verse 29, he says, Now the acts of David the king, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of Samuel the, the seer, in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer, with all his reign and his might, and the times that went over him, and all and over Israel, and over all the kingdoms of the countries. And that David is d- dead there, and Solomon is now ascending to the throne and, and taking over. But I want you to notice something very wonderful that David says in verse 10. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. David making a statement there prophetically of what's to happen when the Lord Jehovah comes. And what does he say? You're the head of it all. You're the glory 
the majesty. It all is there for you. Come over to Psalms 24. Psalms 24. He, he's going to say this here. Psalms 24. David, and the Psalm of David here, he beginning to look at some things, and he says in verse 7, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Any doubt who the King of glory is? <laughs> it's the Lord. It's Jehovah. As he comes in as Israel's Messiah, as Israel's Redeemer and Savior and Deliverer and Benefactor, Blesser and King, as he comes in and he does those five mandates that he's going to do as their Messiah, when he comes in and he does that and he lays in, David recognizes by asking the question, who is the King of glory? The Lord is. Because he's the central figure. Come over to Acts 7. By the way, hold on to Psalms. Get Psalms 29, but get Acts 7. We'll start there. We're just introducing what we're going to be looking at this morning over the next coming weeks. More as a teaser, but more also, you know, I think about when the Lord comes back, if He, if we, if he tarries and we're alive and remain, 1 Corinthians 15, you need Acts 7. 1 Corinthians 15 says that we're changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to be so fast, you're not going to be able to say, hang on a minute, <laughs> I need to watch the YouTube video and see what's going on. Hang on a minute, it's, I got to wait a minute, I got to do this over here, I got to turn the gas off at the stove. It ain't, uh-uh. When the, Lord, when the shout and the voice and the trump blows, the trump's ours, when that blows... Your inner man knows exactly what's going on, and he's moving. Why? Because of that genetic connection. Your inner man needs to understand why he's moving. He just knows he's moving. And that's what we're dealing with. It starts with an understanding of this father of glory. Acts 7. Stephen, standing before, uh, Acts 7 verse 2. Stephen standing before the Sanhedrin, the council here, just before he know, you know, his end. <laughs> he says, Stephen said, and he said, men and brethren and fathers, hearken, the God of glory. Isn't that interesting how he says that? Appeared unto Abraham, our father Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharon. You go back to Genesis 11, Genesis 12, and you see that. But notice how Stephen says, the God of glory. He's quoting Psalms 29, run back there, in verse 3. Again, another Psalm of David, another prophetic view and look into the future. Verse 3, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedar. And on, notice verse 7, the voice of the Lord, verse 8, the voice of the Lord, verse 9, the voice, what's the voice of the Lord? His word. And in verse 3 it says, the God of glory does what? Thunders. Come back over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I just want you to see that this issue about the God of glory, the Father of glory, isn't anything new in Scripture. But rather what's new is our participation in it and what he's doing in the church, the body of Christ, and what he's going to do with Israel and her kingdom on the earth and when he establishes that. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, notice verse number 10. Now, Paul talking to you and I, to us. He says, therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation. Now, I'll be honest with you. 
That word salvation has a lot of different meanings in Scripture. How do you define it? What helps you? The context does, right? So what salvation are we talking about in the context? Well, how about the, the issue there of the suffering the trouble? Enduring hardness as a good soldier. In the battle. You're in the ministry. You're, by the way, we all have ministry. Because we're all ambassadors for Christ. So we're in that. We're doing it. He says, hey guys, I would love for, I'm praying that you would obtain salvation. Some relief from the trouble. Relief from the onslaught. When you remember in your thinking, which is in Christ Jesus with what? Eternal glory. Look at the verse. Eternal glory. You see, folks, there's a connection here for you and I, for us, as we begin to look at this issue of eternal glory, the Father of glory, and what's going to happen out there in the heavenly places. Come back again. Look over at chapter 3 of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. And again, you know, we're all interested in the rapture. We're all interested in those events. And we're going to remind ourselves of those. And then we're going to move and we're going to begin to look at some, some things a little deeper, if you will, in that. In Ephesians 1 there, again, we've got that, the purpose. He's got a plan. He's going to go out there in those, by the way, the dispensation of the fullness of times. You know, we have our chart up here. We don't hang it up this morning. But the dispensation of the fullness of times is off the chart. It's way over there. It's the new heaven and the new earth. It's, I, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever studied the dispensate, what, you know, I, Schofield and Larkin and those guys got like 30 different dispensations. The Lord only has three or four in Scripture, okay? Not, you know, man comes up with, well, that's just not enough, so we've got to have some more. And the Lord says, no, there's a simplicity that's in Christ, right? If you've ever looked at all those dispensations, there's always an introduction period of time to them. There's an intro to them. There's a, there's a except for us, the, the DOG, <laughs> the dog, okay? the dispensation of grace. There's an intro period. And really for us, if you think about the early Acts period, you could say that would be the intro, but Paul's out doing ministry right off the bat. The millennial, the kingdom is going to last how long? Forever. But we have that thousand year intro, don't we? That we only know about because of Revelation 20. If Revelation 20 wasn't there, we would never know that there's a thousand year intro to it. And in that introduction period of time, they're doing a lot of things. For you and I, for the dispensation of the fullness of times, that's the intro period, if you will, to eternity. And in that time period of roughly about 33,000 years, you have this, all this activity that's going to be going on that you and I will be doing in the heavenly places, that Israel will be doing here on the earth, and the setting up and everything. And it's all going to be to the glory of the Godhead. And we'll look at some of that. Ephesians 3, if you will. If you look over there, Ephesians 3. Notice, if you will, verse 9. Well, man, we're just, verse 9 just jumping in there. We've looked at these verses, verse 8 Unto me, and that's Paul, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now, under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So Paul says, look guys, I got a job. My job is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles and to make all men see what is the fellowship because we have this impact into the heavenly places. But he says, not only do I have that job, you've got the same job. Your job as the ambassador for Christ is to say grace and peace 
Now let's go over here and talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. And then let's get over here and talk about the knowledge, coming to the knowledge of the truth. Isn't that the will of the Father? who will have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. As ambassadors, we're going to come at it and say, by the way, if you say grace and peace, what does the world do to you? They think you're an odd duck, don't they? Because you look at the world around us, and there is no grace, and there is no peace. Isn't that one of the chants? No peace, no peace. You know. No justice, no peace. You know, like, really, come on. What, by the way, when will justice be here? When the Lord comes back. We're taken home and the Lord comes back. But if you sit there and go, hey, the, the attitude of the Godhead to you today is grace and peace. And by the way, Christ died for your sins. And then he came over here and he revealed that truth to you. Now watch verse 11. How did he do, why did he do this? Why does he lay this in in verse 9 and 10 for you and I? According to. Isn't that wonderful? Paul uses that term, according to, that phrase, a lot. Over 30 times, I believe, if I counted right. According to the what? The eternal purpose. There's the glory plan, which he purposed where? In Christ. In whom? In Christ, our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. God's plan is that Jesus Christ is the source and the substance of everything. He's the center figure of it all. That's the purpose and the plan of God the Father. To come along and take his son and make him the center of it. And because he's the center of it, and you and I are one in him. That's why Romans 5, Romans 6, 7, and 8 is so critical in our understanding. Because we are one with Christ, and when God the Father looks at us, he sees his son. And he sees our identification there. He says, not only did I have that eternal purpose in Christ being the center of everything, but you as well are valuable to me. You, the church, the body of Christ, are wealthy, you're rich, I've blessed you with everything, I've made you complete in Christ, and you are valuable. And you know what we do? We don't think that way. That's why he would tell us in chapter 1 that we're accepted in the beloved, the beloved one. Because that's who we are. That's our identity. But notice in verse 11, he did it according to his what? Eternal purpose. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> Folks, he had a purpose. He had a plan. And he's working his plan. He's working his purpose today in the age of grace. And he says, guys, I've purposed and made this plan. Well, look at 2 Timothy 1. Look at verse 9. Well, shoot, verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Okay? Testimony of his Lord, of the Lord. What would that be? Most people say that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'll just say, thanks for playing. Because we preach Jesus Christ according to the what? The revelation of the mystery, Romans 16, 25. So the testimony of the Lord is going to be the revelation of the mystery that he gives to Paul and Paul to you and I. Nor of me, there's Paul, his prisoner. But be thou partakers of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, now watch, not according to our works. This has nothing to do with you and your ability or lack of ability to get anything done. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus, 
Wow, before the world began. We're a part of his program according to his own purpose, according to his grace. That ought to get you excited. It ought to stir you up a little bit. It should excite you to know that you are a part of what God is doing. No? No? <laughs> I think about that sprint. Is this on? Is this on? Is are you, can you hear me now? Folks, that ought to get you excited. Why? Because you know what happens? We leave here this morning. We get in our vehicles. We go to lunch. We go home. The next in the morning is work for most of us. Some of us are, you know, you work at retirement. But we go into work, and what happens? Life hits you right between the eyeballs. And we go, Ugh. You shouldn't go, You should go, hey, here's an opportunity, another day of His grace, that I can live as who I am in Christ, and I can engage in life and engage in the people around me and have a positive, everybody wants to have a positive word and a positive, I, you know, I just think, I go, man, you know what? If you would read your Bible and study it the way God would, you would be positive all day long. Well, Brett, Rick, you don't know. You know that there's not a but well verse in this book? I've looked. He says, for the, tribu- for, for the affliction of the, for the light affliction is but for a moment, right? 2 Corinthians 4, 17. What kind of affliction? Oh, Rick, it's so heavy. The book says it's light. And it says it's for a moment. Now, do we believe the book? Or are we going to believe our emotions? We're going to believe the book, or we're going to believe a preacher, a man, who, if you could get him to be honest with you, is in just as bad situation as you are in in the moment. See, it's a perspective. It's a thinking process, folks. According to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. We are a part of this big plan, glory plan, that the Father developed, gave life to, moves it over there, and says, I'm going to do this with those people, and I'm going to do this with those people. Now let's go get her done. That ought to excite you. It ought to stir you up. Come over to Titus chapter 1. By the way, when did he give it to us there in that verse? Before the world began, didn't he? Titus chapter 1, look if you will at verse 2. In the hope of eternal life which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Back before, come back over there to Ephesians 1, before the world began, the Godhead had a meeting. They had a a conference, if you will. And God the Father says, guys, I've got a plan, we're going to call it glory. We're going to do some things here with, some, with, a, with what we're going to call a man. We're going to make him. He ain't, you know, could you imagine being God? My imagination is wonderful, I think, because I enjoy my imagination. You might not like it. I, it's up to you. But I, think, I try to think some of this stuff out. So here you got the Father looking at the Son and the Holy Spirit and saying, Guys, I got a plan. Here it is. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to come over here, and we're going to make this little ball of a planet thing over here, and we're going to stick a mud man on it. We're going to call him man. And in the creation, we're going to make him after our image. He's going to have free will, volition, the ability to make decisions, because I want this creation to willingly come and worship me. I don't want a robot. If he wanted a robot, what would he have created? A robot. 
Duh. This isn't brain surgery, folks. And he says, I'm going to make a creation. Ephesians 1. And I'm going to do some things in that creation. Verse 4. According as he hath chosen in him, the Father, by the verse of all, sorry, read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who? The who is the Father. The Father is doing this. And he runs all the way down through verse 14, talking about what he's going to do, and then what he's going to do with his, in, in his Son, what he's going to then do with the Holy Spirit. By the way, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 15 to the end, this is what it's all going to be like and look like and what it's all destined for. So this is the Father here. And he says, I'm going to, according as he, the Father, hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. He's, he looked over there and he said, I'm going to make a ch the church the body of Christ. Son, this is going to be your body. And this is what I'm going to do with them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to make them holy. I'm going to make them without blame. I'm going to predestinate them. I love that word. Boy, what a great word. Too bad the Calvin people butcher it. I'm going to predestine. I'm going to make their, their, there's a destiny that they're going to have that I've predetermined over here. By the way, how do you get in the body? By faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. Faith and faith in that alone. Not walking an aisle, not joining anything, just trust in Christ. I'm going to take those people and I'm going to adopt them. I'm going to make them adults. I'm going to give them an identity so connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to make them, verse 6, accepted in the beloved. I'm going to give them forgiveness of sins. I'm going to abound to them, verse 8, in all wisdom and prudence. I'm going to make my will known to them, verse 9 and 10. I'm going to give them an inheritance, verse 11. I'm going to give them all this riches, according to the riches of his grace. And son, you're going to be a part of it. You're going to be the head. They're going to be your body. I have a purpose. And when you trust Christ, you become a part of that purpose. You become a part of the body of Christ. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body. One, one baptism, a spirit baptism. We don't have a baptismal up here. Why? Because water baptism belongs to the nation of Israel. It doesn't belong to us. So he says there in verse 10... What am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to, verse 10, that, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. This is what I'm doing with the heaven body of Christ. This is what I'm going to go do with the earth. Come back with me to Isaiah 14. You guys doing okay? All right. Just checking. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, here's the earth, here's Israel. Isaiah 14, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form. From one, Genesis 1, 2, all the way down to Acts chapter number 9, the focus has been on the earth. The earth, Israel, and the earth. Isaiah 14, verse 24, the Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And, I, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. You think he's going to do what he said he's going to do? I tell you, that thing over in 2 Peter 3, Peter says, don't count slackness as men count slackness. The Lord said he's going to do it. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to do it. that I will break the Assyrian in my land. Here's what he's going to do for the nation of Israel. Here's God's purpose for Israel. 
I'm going to break the Assyrian, the, the Antichrist, in my land. And upon my mountains tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart from off them, that's Israel, and his burden depart from off their shoulders. This is the purpose which is purposed upon the whole earth. And this is the, land, the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, who shall disannul? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? Ah, boy, you're not big enough a day in your life to tell God something he ain't going to go do. He says, I'm going to do this. And what I'm going to do with the nation of Israel, by the way, notice I will break the Assyrian. It doesn't say Trump. Sorry. It doesn't say Obama. It doesn't say Clinton. It doesn't say Abraham Lincoln. It doesn't say Hitler. Who does it say? The Assyrian. You see, your Antichrist is identified in Scripture as being Assyrian. Get your head out of the drama pages. Get over here in the book, and guess what you real quickly understand? That Antichrist isn't going to be coming from America. He's coming from that Middle East territory. That'll help you, by the way, calm you down. Just a cul-de-sac move, okay? I tell you what, you people get so juiced up about stuff that doesn't mean anything in the big scheme of it. You do. God purposed to do something. What's he going to do in the earth? He's going to set his people back over where they rightly belong. Come to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. We're getting there. Matthew 25. Look at verse 31. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Remember, it's glory plan. It's a plan called glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he, shall, and he will shut, set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, notice when, from the foundation of the world. When the Son of Man returns in his second coming, by the way, who does he come back with in verse 31? Angels, no saints. Sorry, bust that bubble. You ain't coming back with him to take it out on anybody. You and I are going to be seated in the heavenly places. We're going to watch all that happen and go, get them. <laughs> rah, 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 be the cheering section, the cheer squad for a moment. He's going to look at the nations, verse 32, and he's going to gather them up, and he's going to separate them out. By the way, these are the Gentiles. Israel is not numbered among the nations, Numbers says. This says, the Gentiles are the nation of Israel, the believing remnant. They're going to be sitting there watching this. He's going to take those nations, plural, and he's going to divide them up. He's going to separate them. And he's going to separate them according to the Abrahamic covenant. And he's going to look over here. They're going to say to him, by the way, in verse 35, verse 38, sorry, when saw we thee a stranger and do all that? What does he say in verse 30 and verse 40? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done, done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. What does the Abrahamic covenant say? I'm going to bless them that what? Bless you. I'm going to curse them that curse you. You guys all get to go into the kingdom. You guys are going to go over there to the lake of fire. See you later, Charlie. Boom. Off you go. When did he do that? From the foundation of the world. You see, folks, God has a heavenly purpose as well as an earthly purpose. Now, come back to Ephesians 1. Let's tie the rag, whoops. Tie the rag on the bush here. Ephesians 1. A heavenly purpose. That's you and I, the church, the body of Christ. That's going to be our focus. 
of our study. We will talk about Israel and the earthly purpose, but that's going to be a kingdom on the earth. I'm debating whether to do this with you or not. Let's do it. Come over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Yeah, I get, got to get there. 1 Timothy. Oh. Let's make it 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. And then get the book of the Revelation, chapter 12. Revelation 12. Okay? He's going to make some establishments. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. Paul here, at the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, his departure's at hand. He's fought a good fight. He's kept the faith. He's finished his course. By the way, he did it with joy. 2 Timothy 4, verse number 18, he said, uh, verse 17, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Who strengthened Paul? The Lord did. How did the Lord do that? By the word working in you, by the effectual working of the word in you that believe. That by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Who's that a picture of? The adversary. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What kind of kingdom? Heavenly. What is a kingdom? If you think about a kingdom, what does it come up in your mind? Government, ruling and reign, kings and queens and princesses and all that good stuff, right? You think about, I, I watched that movie King Arthur and the Legend of the Sword. I hadn't seen it before. It was on TV. was watching that. And King Arthur, here, and the round table and all that stuff, right? But what kind of a kingdom is here? A heavenly kingdom. But didn't he promise Israel an earthly kingdom? Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Jumping ahead a little bit here, verse 7. And there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Boy, that place, their place was, was missing. Back there in Isaiah, he, the, Isaiah says he's going to take the heavens, and he's going to roll them up as a scroll, and he's going to shake out the inhabitants. Wrath. This is what he's doing right here. Shaking them out. Their place is gone. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world, and he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying, In heaven now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. The kingdom is being established where? In the heaven. That's you and I. If you drop over to verse 12, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Notice there is a period after them. Who's going to dwell? What is it to dwell? We live in a dwelling place, don't we? It's home. Ephesians chapter 2 in verse number 6, you know where our home is? The heavens. Ephesians 2, 6, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 6, verse 7, That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Folks, he's got a plan. He's got twofold purpose. He's going to come over to Colossians 1. He's going he's to establish the earthly kingdom and the earthly purpose in Israel that he started since Genesis 1, verse number 2. Gave a picture of it in Adam. Gave all down through the history of your Old Testament. There it is. Became the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman became the seed of Abraham. 
became the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob became out of the tribe of Judah. And out of Judah, big big tribe, comes Jesse. And David is the, is, is the lineage. And the lineage runs all the way down to the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes and he dies at Calvary. For his people he died. For their sins he died. He was their redeemer. And then Paul shows up and says, you know what? He's also our Redeemer as well. And here's my gospel. As the Lord Lord does that, the Father's glory plan shifts to the forming of a heavenly government. The forming of a heavenly kingdom. And that's where we participate in. The only place that you ever see, by the way, Paul mentioned the thing about a heavenly kingdom is there at the end of his life. Because when you, t- when you use kingdom terminology, you confuse the matter. Because there's another group, okay, Israel, and what kind of terminology do they have? A kingdom terminology. But where are we destined to go? The heavenly kingdom. Colossians 1 verse 27, we'll close with here. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's the glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Folks, God wants you and I to know the riches the wealth that he, the value that we are to him. So as we go forward and as we look at different aspects and as we cover different, different, as we look at the details of the plan, just understand that he had this plan before the world began. Now it's in place. And in operation. And when he takes us home, we're going to look at the details. I call it the rapture chapter. When we look at the details of 1 Thessalonians 4, and we begin to look at those things, and we see that focus on the heavenly places, that becomes tremendously exciting. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for taking us and allowing us to participate in this plan of glory, this purpose of glory. And as we study it, and as we look at it, and as we review in our minds about it, that we would do so for your honor and for your glory, and that we would set our affections, seek those things above, and set our affections on things above. And we would have a proper mindset in what's going on around us. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.